it louder. Say your past does not determine your future. Tell your neighbor now. Tell your neighbor your past does not determine your future. All right. Now, before I start teaching today, I want to say something. Um, every every day we we share the epicenter grace capsule. You know what? Do you know why we call it grace capsule? Because you need the word of God every day in your life. Every day. Not on Sunday. Sunday is ice cream. Hello? <laughs> Sunday is ice cream or donuts. If the word of God, is, if you're going to grow spiritually, you must sow the seed of the word every day in your life. And you cannot take it for granted for any reason. And this is the reason why God allowed us from this year to start sharing with you the word. And listen, I told you, if you, if you really follow our grace capsule, it is all about pointing you to Jesus. The focus is on Jesus, his grace, his love, and his kindness, and his instruction that he gives to us. So if you, if you stay with the grace capsule, I guarantee you, in one year, you will realize that you have to be totally transformed. Things you never knew you get to know, the Spirit of God will open your eyes to greater things, greater light of the Spirit. But if you don't, and you know, it doesn't take so much time. I mean, if you are sowing the seed of the word 15 minutes every day in your life, it is far better than somebody who spent eight hours in one day trying to seek God. Consistency is the key to growing spiritually. Everybody say, get up, say consistency is the key to growing spiritually. Say it together with me. Are you ready now? Say consistency is the key to growing spiritually. It makes, it makes a lot of sense. How many of you have children, or you, even you yourself, you just ate for the week? Say, I'm going to eat today and the next Sunday. How many of you do that? You're not fasting. Just say, I, eat, I want to eat for the week. I eat today, then I eat for the week. How many of you do that? Did you do that? So why did you do that to your spiritual life? You cannot eat today and then you say, next week Sunday. It's not going to work that way. Your growth will be stunted. You see that? Sometimes it's not about the quantity of food that you eat. It may be just little that you're taking, but that little will have effect in your life. And the same thing with the word. The word must be sold in your heart every day. Because remember, the devil does not go on holiday. Hello? Satan doesn't say, ah, today is Christmas. Let me take Christmas holiday. Satan doesn't know anything like holiday. His wickedness strikes from Monday from the 1st of January to the 31st December. And he's ready to cause evil every day, as much as you give him a chance to do. So the word of God must become sword of the spirit in your heart. And the only way to make that happen is to sow the seal of the word. And that will make it very easy for you. We made it so easy so that you just take the word every day and sow the seal in your heart. You have declarations there. You say those declarations to yourself for that day. Sometimes you have prayers there that confessions you make. You pray those things in your life. And then we also give you um, scriptures. For those of you that want to go further and deeper in the revelation of the word, we also give you the scripture where you can um, get that. So question, somebody says, so how can I get, get a grace capsule? Very simple. We have it on our IFAN group on WhatsApp. It's being posted every day from 12 a.m. So if you're not on the WhatsApp group, ensure you join it. If you want to join the IFAN group on the WhatsApp, I will recommend that you... Uh, where's Isaac? Where's Isaac? Huh? Okay, see him over there. Come, come, come and see your face. Uh, they know you. Most of them know you, but they may not attach you to the face. Meet this young man. He would add you. He will add you to the IFAM group. Very easy. Very quickly, he will add you there. Uh, can you see him now? All right. Can you see him? <laughs> all right. <laughs> That's all. Thank you very much. And then also, if you're on Facebook, if you check the Epicenter Church page at Epicenter World, we also post it there every day from 12 a.m. And then if you check my page on Facebook as well, PS Tosin K, you also get it posted every day. 
Hallelujah. And what we started to do also, we started to make the videos available to you. If you want to, like for instance, I'm teaching today, but if you want to hear the message further than today, we'll also make it available for you on um, YouTube, on Facebook as well. So you can rewatch the live stream. If you don't want the live stream, if you only want the message part, we'll also edit that and make it available to you for free. Glory to God. The essence is for you to grow. Hallelujah. You don't want to start out, I mean, you should be able to watch your life that I've actually grown spiritually in the, in, the, in, in the last three months. Because growth can be measured. How many of you know growth can be measured? Right? You can measure your height, you can measure your weight. Is that correct? Hello, is that correct? In the same way, you can measure your spiritual growth. You can know whether you are growing or you are not growing. Are you seeing that? For instance, how do you know you are growing? Let's say if you, in, your, in your prayer life, you, you only five minutes, you are tired of praying. Are you seeing that? And then you started praying 10 minutes, you started doing 15 minutes. You see, you're, you're making progress. But if you are praying one hour, and then all of a sudden, you have now dropped to five minutes prayer. You know that something is wrong. You just know something is wrong. It's like you always going to the gym. You can run one hour on the treadmill. All of a sudden, you can't do it anymore. You know something is wrong somewhere. In the same way, you can measure your spiritual growth, whether you're growing. Because God wants you to grow. God wants you to grow spiritually. God wants everything he has put in your life to come out. And I told you, I said God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you ask or think, but it is according to the power that is at work in you. Ask your neighbor, how much of God's power is working inside you? How much? How much of it is working inside you? Because it depends on the capacity of what is working inside you. That is what God is able to do above. So if all that is working inside you, if all the power of God that is working inside you is 2,000 naira, let me make it in money sense now. Huh? God can do above 2K. What is above 2K? 2.5. 2.1. That's, that's above. That's exceedingly above. <laughs> Praise God. So the question is, how much of God's power is at work in you? And the only way for the power of God to be at work in you is by you submitting yourself to the ministry of the word and prayer. There's no other gimmicks to this thing. There's no other way to this thing. Listen, if you are praying, if you are giving yourself to the ministry of the word, the Bible says it will appear to all men. It will appear to all men. That's what the Bible says. If you give yourself to the scripture, men know that this one has stayed with Jesus. You don't need to talk about it. They will see it in your life. They will see it in your words. The way you react to situations. When Jesus comes against your life, you are not moved. You are not perturbed. You are not worried about it. Instead, you know how to pray. The Bible says, be anxious for nothing. Say, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known unto God. And God will grant you his what? His peace. It's his peace will garrison your heart and mind by the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. If you find yourself always worried, 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 it shows that you are not growing spiritually. Because if you have grown spiritually, you'll remember the word, be anxious for nothing. Say, I refuse to be anxious about anything. So that way you're going to say to yourself, in the, you see, the reason why the Bible says be anxious for nothing is because circumstances are going to come to make you anxious. Worry will attack you. Whether you're a pastor, whether you're a prophet, whoever you are, worry is going to attack you. Sometimes if you're a mother, you have a child, you're just wondering, what's happening to my child in school? What's going on with that child? You know, you're worried about them, worried about them. The Bible says pray instead, pray instead. Sometimes you're worried about your husband. Worried about your spouse, worried about your friend, worried about your family member. The Bible says, pray. It says, let your supplication be made known unto God. Because there's a reason why you are worrying. That thing you're worrying about, it says, cast it unto the Lord, for the Lord cares for you. Can you shout, Amen? amen. And also, too, remember, most of you, you is important that as if you're if you're on a journey of spiritual growth. I told you every Tuesday we teach the word every Tuesday. Make time to come to church on Tuesday from 5.30 to 7 p.m. 
is a time for us to actually go deeper in the world. That's why, you know, some churches those days, they used to call it going and um, uh, they call it uh, digging deep. You remember digging deep? Those of you that in church, so digging deep means that we are going into the, we are digging to the ground. We want to extract the genius from, from the ground. That's the reason for midweek service. In midweek service, we have more time to teach the word. There's no much activity. You just worship God and then straight to the word. And then we also give opportunities where you can ask questions. If you have questions that are bothering you or through the message, sometimes we teach on Sunday, you don't have the time to ask me questions. You can ask questions also when we give the opportunity. But the focus really is for building you spiritually in the word. Can you say amen? You must submit yourself to the ministry of the word. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. And for those of you also that um, you are planning to get married or you are hoping and wishing that one day you're going to get married, ensure that you submit yourself to leadership of the church and it is important that the church knows at least six months before you get married so that we can mentor you one of the things that god has given us as a gift in this church is that those that are going to get married will actually get mentorship they'll get mentorship not just one day class you are getting married the holy ghost will teach you no nothing like that there are practical things you need to learn. You need to learn about forgiveness. You need to learn about communication. You need to learn about finances. You need to learn about sex. You need to learn about your in-laws, your outlaws. You need to learn about how to deal. Because these are the things you're going to face when you get married. You know, most of the time, when we're teaching um, the married, um, the pre, those that want to get married, sometimes you just think that, Kai, why is this mentorship just too long? But guess what? After they get married, though, when they do one month, six months, one year, they will not start remembering all the things that we're teaching them. That's a Kai. This thing that he told them, practical, because we know it'll happen to everybody. Hallelujah. So that's why we mentor. We say you can have a blissful marriage. God wants us to ha- enjoy our marriage and have a wonderful family. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Those of you in Bible school, I know you didn't see me throughout this week. I've been with, um, I've been, I've been, we've been, um, myself and my wife, we've been attending several programs with uh, Apostle Selma and Apostle Oropo as well. And we'll be sure my So we've not had time throughout this week. So you're going to see me on Monday. Praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right. Now let's get into the word. Are you ready now? Let's turn to the book of Matthew. Now, before I start, why did God give us four gospels? Listen very carefully. Four gospels. Why do we have four gospels? But how, what are the four gospels? Let me see if I'm teaching you in this class. What are the four gospels? Tell me the four gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, what do these gospels represent? The book of John, John's focus of his gospel is to present Jesus as God. That's why from John chapter 1 verse 1, he starts with, in the beginning was the word. Are you seeing that? He didn't talk about genealogy. He wanted to present to us that Jesus is actually God. Now what is the focus of, of, of Matthew? Matthew's focus is to show us that Jesus is king. Everybody say king. That's why if you notice from this verse, he starts with Jesus from David. He wanted to show that Jesus was king. That's the essence of the gospel of Matthew. Now what's the essence of the gospel of Mark? The essence of the gospel of Mark is to show to us that Jesus is a servant. That's why if you study the book of Mark, you're going to notice certain words used several times immediately, hastily, immediately. You see those words used all the time because I'm going to show that Jesus, as much as he's king, he's also a servant. Glory to God. Because he serves us with all of God's blessings. He serves us with healing. He serves us with his word. He serves us with the Holy Ghost. He serves us in our lives. Hallelujah. So Jesus is king, yet a servant. Are you seeing that? And then in the book of Luke, he also shows us how that Jesus is a man. So in the book of Luke, he starts from the genealogy of Adam. 
he went back to Adam to show that Jesus is actually a man. And then you go to John. John shows that Jesus is God. Can you say amen? So, the reason why I say this is that most of the time, many Christians think that this is just a waste of time. Why are we reading genealogy? Why all these telling us where it came from, who gave birth to this one? It's just, it's just like a waste of paper. No! Everything in scripture is very important. Can you say amen? Alright, let's go now. The book of the genealogy of Jesus, Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Notice very carefully in the next verse. Abraham begot who? Isaac Isn't, isn't that funny? When do men start giving birth to children? Or you didn't notice that in your Bible? It says Abraham begot Isaac. <laughs> All right. Notice he didn't mention Sarah. Do you notice that? Because actually it's not Abraham that gave birth to Isaac. Who gave birth to Isaac? Talk to me now. Are you, have you seen your, your father give birth before? <laughs> so, so something is going on here. Because Matthew intentionally wrote this scripture this way. Because he's trying to make an emphasis on certain things. So follow this very carefully. You will receive revelation today. It says, Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Next verse. Judah by Paris and Zida. By who? By who? Write it down. Tamar. For the first time, he, told, he mentioned a woman's name. Tamar. Tamar was the one that gave birth to these two guys. For the first time. He didn't mention Sarah. He didn't mention Rebecca. He didn't mention all those women. He now mentioned Tamar. Are you following? Now, um, and Hazor begat Ram. Next verse, verse 4. Ram begat, this is also a man again. Ram begat um, Aminadam. Aminadam begat Nashor. And Nashor begat Salom. Uh-huh. Salom begat who? Boaz by who? Rehab. Write it down, number 2. Rehab. <laughs> Tamar. Now, number 2 woman, Rehab. Obed begat Jesse. Next, and Jesse begat David the king. David the king begat Solomon by her who had been the wife of who? Who was the wife of Uriah? Bathsheba. Bathsheba, right? Write it down, number three woman. Bathsheba. Next verse. Verse, verse eight. Okay, we're there. Solomon begat Rehoboam. Rehoboam begat Abijah. And Abijah begat Asa. And Asa begat Jehoshaphat and Jehoshaphat begat Joram and Joram begat Uzzah. Uzzah begat Jotam. Jotam begat Azar and Azar begat Ezekiah. Ezekiah begat Manasseh. Manasseh begat Ammon and Ammon begat Josiah. Josiah begat Joraniah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. Uh-huh. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jonah begat Shetiah, and Shetiah begat Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel begat Abdu, Abdu begat Elmiakah, and Elmiakah begat Azor, uh-huh. Azor begat Zadok, Zadok begat Achim, Achim begat Elud, what the names, what names? Elud begat Eleazar, Eleazar begat Maha, Maha begat Jacob, uh-huh. and Jacob begat who? Joseph, the husband of Mary. There's one woman that we missed. Okay, you saw it, right? You saw Ruth, right? So write Ruth. The fourth woman, Ruth. The, 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 the last woman, Mary. All right. Uh-huh. Um, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of who? Of Mary. Of whom was born Jesus, who is called what? Christ. All right. So, notice very carefully. There are five women's names that Matthew mentioned. 
When he said Abraham begat Isaac, we know that Abraham cannot give birth, but he excluded the name because he was focusing on something. Let's look at the woman that he mentioned. What's the first woman he mentioned? Tama, second woman. Rahab, third, the third woman. Ruth, Ruth. Then the fourth one, Bentseba. Then the fifth one, Mary. Now, what's the meaning of Tama? Tama means palm tree. You can write it down. Tama means palm tree. If you know somebody that's being Tama, that's the meaning of the name. Rahab means wide. W-I-D-E, wide, like a wide space. Root means friend. Root means friend. Bethsheba means daughter of an oath or daughter of a covenant. That's the meaning of Bethsheba. Then Mary means rebellion. Rebellion. Terrible name. <laughs> huh? Okay, then, then, I'll, should I go by it again? Tama means palm tree. Rehab means wide. And um, root means friend. Right? And then um, Bethsheba means daughter of an oath. And then Mary means rebellion. Are we all there? Are we there? Alright. Now, if you look at these five women, these women had scandals in their lives. Scandals. These were scandalous women. When we, we're, we are going to study about these women today, and we'll study about them today, wisdom, you, you will see how that your past does not determine your future. Now, who is Tamar? Tamar had a terrible history. Let's look at Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. The Bible lets us know. Are you seeing that? Um, Ruth. Ruth was from, Ruth was not a Jew. She was a foreigner. She, in fact, Ruth was a Moabite. And the Moabites were never allowed to God's temple. Ruth. Look at Bethsheba. Bethsheba um, slept with uh, who? David, right? And then David killed the husband and enforced himself on her. So, and look at Mary also. Mary was, um, was carrying pregnancy without the husband. How many of you know that? But as a virgin. Glory to God. I said glory to God. You know, thank God that God talked to Joseph. Because there's no explanation that Mary wants to tell him that the Holy Ghost came upon her. And then, baby started to grow. <laughs> the guy will say he must be crazy. Is, are you telling Because it has never happened before. Never has he been heard that a virgin just start, to have, start, um, start growing a baby inside. So the, the angel of God had to talk to Joseph that the child she's carrying is a child of the Holy Ghost. He says, stay with her. He said, I know you are engaged to her, but you have to marry her so that you'll protect her. Glory to God. All right. Now, let's study about Tamar. Genesis 38 from verse 1 to 30. Who is Tamar? Let's start with Tamar now. So you see that God is so... Isn't, isn't God so wonderful that God didn't just use all the women who had nice history? Most, some of the women in Jesus' great-grandmothers, some of them had scandalous past. Scandalous past. Terrible past. But yet God still used them. God still chose them. Why was that so? Let's look at that now. It came to pass... At that time, that Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain um, Abdullamite whose name was Harry. Uh -huh. And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Sean. And he married her and went into her. And so she conceived and bore a son. And his name is called who? Er, er, okay. She conceived again and bore a son. And the second son's name is what? Onan. Uh -huh. Next. And she conceived yet again and bore a son and called his name what? Shela, he was at um, Shezi when she bore him and when she gave birth to him. Next. Then Judah took a wife 
for error, his firstborn. And her name was called what? This is the first time Tamar's name is mentioned. Now let's look at Tamar now. Next verse. All right. So Er, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of God, and the Lord killed him. And Judah said to Honor, Go into your brother's wife and marry her and raise up an heir to your brother. Now the culture in those days was if your brother's wife died, sorry, if your if your brother died and he had a wife, you who is not married as the younger brother have to go and marry your brother's wife. So you can continue the lineage. That was the culture of those days. I am I, I'm, I'm even aware that some of this culture even exists in Africa. I don't know whether it's extinct now or it's still to, to today. Next verse. Now look at what happened next. But honor knew that the heir would not be his. It came to pass when he went in to his brother's wife. What did he do? He emitted on the ground, lest he should give an heir to his brother. What exactly does that mean? That means when he was having sexual intercourse with Tamar, he ensured that he didn't release the sperm inside her. When he's about to do that, he would pour it out. That's what the Bible says. Isn't that the Bible is very interesting? Next verse. A lot of and the thing which he did what displeased the Lord and what happened to him and the Lord killed him also. Next verse. <laughs> then Judah said to Tamar his daughter-in-law, "Remain a widow in your father's house till my son shall I is grown." Can you imagine? For he said, "Lest you also die like his brothers." And Tamar went in and dwelt in her father's house. Glory to God. Oh, nice to see you, sir. Good to see you. Thank you. All right. Um, now, in the process of time, the daughter of Sean, Judah's wife, died, and Judah was comforted and went into a sheep sharer in Timah, he and his friends, Hara and the, the Abdomite. Glory to God. And it was, and it was told Tamar, saying, Look, your father in law is going up to Timah to share his sheep. Now, notice very carefully. Now, the first son that Judah gave to Tamar died. Are you following? We don't know what he did. The second son, he didn't want to get her pregnant. Are you following that? Bible says he too also died. Now he had the last born. The last born was still a young boy. He hasn't come of age to marriage. So the father said, you this woman, you have to wait as a widow. Let my son grow. See wickedness. Let my son grow. When he grows up, he will not come and marry you. So he sent her to go and stay in, with her family somewhere and wait for her. So she heard that the father-in-law was coming to share his sheep, take care of his sheep in a particular area. Now next verse. Verse 14. So she took off her widow's garment, covered herself with a veil, and wrapped herself, and sat in an open space, which was on the way to Timah. For she saw that Sheila was grown, and he was not given to him as a wife. So Sheila was already matured, but the father-in-law did not give the son to her, because that was the agreement. So she only take it by force. Next verse. Verse 5. When Judah saw her, what happened? Everybody on the screen want to go. He hollered at her because she had what? So in those days, they are where hallowed stay. You know how you're driving around Abuja and some cities. I, I don't know about Yola too. You see prostitutes on the road, right? Uh -huh. So in those days, the prostitutes would usually cover their face. They nobody wants to see their face at all. So she went to pretend to be a prostitute. She went to arrange herself because she knew that the guy would come. That means this Judah had a history of following prostitutes. Are you following the scripture now? <laughs> I tell you that the things that we do today is not new. Evil has been the same way from scripture to today. It doesn't change. Glory to God. Next verse, 16. Okay. Then she turned to her. Sorry, then he turned to her and said, Please, let me come into you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. So she said, What will you give me that I may come in to, that, my, that you may come in to me? So she started asking, How much are you going to pay? 
Next verse. And he said, I will send a young goat from the flock. How much is a goat? How much is a young goat? Say stinky. Okay. <laughs> will you give them? Then, because the guy said, I didn't come with the money now, but I'm going to send the money. She not say, eh, but I need some pledge. Give me some pledge till you send it. Next verse. Then he said, what pledge shall I give you? So she said, your signet, uh-oh, and cord, and your staff in your hand. You know what she's asking for? She's asking for big things. You know what the staff represents? The staff represents power. Everybody say power. Now, what does the seal represent? The seal represents your signature, your authority. That's what the signature represents. And what does the, the cord represent? The cord represents your integrity. Everybody say your integrity. So she's asking for his integrity. She's asking for his power. And she's asking for his signature. Look at what she asked for big things. Then he gave them to her. Can you imagine? Men. Men can do crazy things. Just to get whatever they want to get. He, the man gave her everything. And went into her, and she was Manterabah. She conceived by him. That means the first attempt, she got pregnant. Next verse, 19. So she arose and went away, and laid aside her veil, and put on the garment of her. So now she now went back to widowhood. Next verse, 20. And Judah sent the young goat by the hand of his friend, the Adonite, to receive his pledge from the woman's hand. For he did not find her. Problem. Then he asked the men of the place, saying, Where is the harlot? It was openly by the roadside. And they said, There was no harlot in this place. Oh, oh. Okay. Problem that started now. So he returned to Judah and said, I cannot find her. Also, the men of the place said, There was no harlot in this place. Okay. Then Judah said, Let her take them for herself, lest we be shamed. For I sent this young goat and I have not found her. And it came to pass about how many months? Three months. That Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter, daughter-in-law, has played the harlot. Furthermore, she is with child by, <laughs> by harlotry. So Judah said, bring her out and let her be born. Look at his judgment time. Okay, next verse. You will soon be exposed. When she was brought out and, and sent to her father-in-law saying, by the man to whom this belongs, I am with child. So you said that, the person that owns these these things, these three things, the signet, the cord, and the staff, he is the father of this child. She planned this thing well. So she said, please determine who are these, the signet, the cord, and the staff. Next verse. Next verse. 27. Quickly. Uh-huh. And it came to pass, at the time of giving birth, oh boy, that behold twins were in her womb. She gave birth to twins. And so it was when she was giving birth that the one put out his hand and the midwife took a scarlet thread and bound it to his hand saying, this one comes out first. That's the firstborn. And it happened as she drew back his hand that his brothers came out unexpectedly. She said, how did you break through? This bleach, um, this bridge be upon you. Therefore, his name was called Peze. Terrible name. Next verse. Afterwards, his brother came out, who was um, scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called what? Zerah. Glory to God. Do you know the story? Terrible story, right? So, the, the first son of Judah, right, married Tamar. He died. The second son refused to get her pregnant. That one also died. Then the last son 
the father said, when he grows up, you will marry him. When the guy grew up, she demanded enough. So she went to go and plant herself, plant herself as a prostitute because she knew that the father-in-law always looks for new prostitutes. So when the guy caught her, he said, no, Allah. She went in, the guy got her pregnant, and she gave her to twins. Terrible story. This is the great grandmother of Jesus. <laughs> Imagine you your grandmother was like this. You say your grandmother played life, played life. This is the grandmother of Jesus. Let's look at the next woman, Rahab. Joshua 2, 1 to 2. Joshua 2, 1 to 2. All right. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from, from Acacia, Grove, to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. For they went and came to the house of the Harlots. You know, I like the scripture. He always mentioned their historical um, services. Harlots named Rahab, the lodge there. Next verse, verse 2. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. Now let's go to chapter 6, verse 22. But Joshua has said to the two spies who had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and from there bring out the woman and all she has, and sworn to her. Glory to God. This is so powerful. Next verse. Next verse. And the young men who had brought spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, and her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought her out of all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. Next verse. But they burned the city and all was in with fire. Only the silver and gold and the, and the vessels of bronze and iron that went into the treasury of the house of the Lord. Next verse. And Joshua spared, everybody say, spared. Rahab, who? They had lot. Her what? Her father's household and all that she had. So she dwelt in Israel to this day because she hid the messenger whom, whom Joshua sent to spy Jericho. Why was Rahab saved? Because she believed in the God who parted the Red Sea. She believed in the God who can do the impossible. She said that we have heard about your God, what your God can do. And even Jericho is afraid of your God. He said, but I want to believe this God. Because of this God I believe in, I will protect you guys. Are you seeing that? She lied but it was, it was a necessary lie to protect God's children. And because of that, God picked her as one of the great grandmother of Jesus. Can you shout amen? Second hallow too. Glory to God. Let's look at Ruth. Deuteronomy 23. Now who is Ruth? Ruth got married by favor to Boaz. Now according to the law of Moses, listen very carefully, an Israelite cannot marry a Moabite. Ruth was a Moabite. So how did Ruth marry Boaz? Look at what the Bible says. The Bible says, An Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. Who is Ammon and who is Moab? Who are they? They are two sons of somebody. Who are they? Who knows? Anybody knows? No, not David. David was not born by this time. Who, who knows? Lot? No, it's not Lot. That's your Bible assignment. Praise God. But when you know why, when you know the father of these two of, of these two children, you will understand why God said this thing. He says, Shall not enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of the descendants shall enter the assembly of the, of, of, the, of the Lord forever. Look at that. God was saying that when it comes to Moabite and Ammon, they should not enter the temple of God. That's how terrible it is. Talkless of marriage. If they can't enter God's house. What can you do with marriage concerning them? No, nothing like marriage. Next verse. Verse 4. 
Because they did not meet you with bread and water on the road when you came out of Egypt. And because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Bezor, the Pizor, the, the, Meshif, uh, the Mesopotamia, to curse you. That's, that's why that's their punishment. Next verse. Nevertheless, the Lord your God will not listen to Balaam. But the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you. Because why? The Lord loves you. Can I prophesy to somebody this morning? Because the Lord loves you. Anybody that puts a curse on your life, the Lord will turn it to you for a blessing. In the name of Jesus. Bible says you cannot bless a man that is cursed. Say, I am blessed. Say, I'm too blessed to be cursed. Bible says that a cause without a cause is of course. Anybody that sent a curse into my life for no reason is going the wrong direction. Hallelujah. You cannot curse a man who didn't do anything wrong. You cannot curse a man who God has blessed. The children of Israel, the more they try to curse them, in fact, as Bala was trying to curse, God put blessing in his mouth. The Bible says you cannot curse. It says there's no divination that can work against Israel. No enchantment against Jacob. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So the next woman, Ruth, was forbidden to enter God's house. She was a Moabite. Yet, by the favor of God, she married Boaz. One day she was on the field. As she was there doing the field, it happened that that particular day, Boaz came to check his farm. And the Bible says, as she just rose her head, Boaz said, Kai, this is the woman I want. By favor, God allowed that marriage. And God chose Ruth to become the, grand, the great-grandmother of Jesus. Let's look at Bethsheba, 2 Samuel 11. Let's be quick. 2 Samuel 11. It happened in the spring of the year, at a time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and the servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besides Rehab. But David remained at Jerusalem. So David did not go for war. Next verse. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. That's like the penthouse. And from the roof, what did he see? Everybody don't want to go read everybody. Uh-huh. So it was very beautiful, the Bible says. Next verse. <laughs> so David sent as king. Now, I know he's king. He can get anybody he wants. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And somebody said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uvariah the Hittite? Okay, next verse. And David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him and he laid with her for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to a house. Can you imagine that? Next. Read everybody want to go. Hi. And said, I am with child. Next verse. Verse 6. Then David sent, sent to Joab, saying, send, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. Verse 7. When Uriah, so when David heard about the story, you know what David did? David planned to attack Uriah. And, in, and Uriah was his chief commander in the army. Notice what's going on here. So when Uriah had come to, to him, David asked how Job was doing and how the people were doing and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, go down to the house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house and a gift of food from the king followed, followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of the Lord and did not go down to his house. Next. So, when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? You know what he, you know what he was trying to do? He was trying that Uriah would go to the house and sleep with the wife so that he would put the pregnancy on the man. 
But for that, for some reason, the man not go to the house that he went somewhere else. So the devil said, Go to your house and go to your house. Can you <laughs> so and the rest said to David, the ark of Israel and Judah are dwelling in tent. And the Lord and my Lord Job and the servant of my Lord are encamped in the open field. Shall I then go to my house and eat and drink and do lie with my wife? As you live, and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Hey, war started. Then David said to Raya, Wait here today also, and tomorrow I will let you depart. So Raya remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Okay, next. And when now when David called him, he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. <laughs> Hello, are you still here? And these are real life stories. So now David now made Raya to be drunk. Okay? And he made him drunk. And at the evening, he went out to lie on his bed with a servant of my Lord. But he did not go down to his house. David did not succeed. He tried to send him home. He didn't go. He tried to get him drunk. He didn't go. In the morning, it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. He said, Uriah, go and give a letter to your boss. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle. And retreat from him that he may be struck dead and die. See the wickedness of man. This is David after God's heart. <laughs> Next verse. See the evil is planned. So it was while Joab besieged the city that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew that they were valiant men. Next. Then the men of the then, then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab. And some of the people of the servant of David fell. And Uriah the Hittite died also. So he succeeded in this one. Next verse. And Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war. Uh-huh. Move quickly. And, and charged the messenger saying, When you are finished telling the matter of the war to the king, if it happened that the king's wrath rises, and he says to you, Why did you approach so near to the city where you fought? Then you tell him, they do not know that they would shoot from the wall. So, you know what the, in, you know how this thing is? The army knew that they were going to shoot through the wall. Then the Joab said, go and stay there. You go and protect them. So, the people are saying, didn't you know they are going to shoot through the wall? Why don't you protect yourself? Why did you die like a chicken? That was what David wanted. Who struck Abimelech, the son of um, Jebusite? Was it not a woman who cast a piece of a milestone on him from the wall? So that he died in Chebrus. Why did you not go near the wall? Then he shall say, your sound right the Hittite is dead also. Terrible death. Next verse. So the messengers went and came and told David all that Job had sent by him. And the messenger said to David, surely the men prevailed against us and came out to us in the field. Then we drove them back as far as the entrance of the gate. The archers shot from the wall of, at, at your servants. And some of the king's servants um, are dead. And your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Then David said to the messenger, Thus you shall say to Job, Do not let this thing uh, displease you. For the sword devours one as well as another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it. So encourage them. Next verse. When the wife, everybody read, want to go. Uh-huh. Next verse. Uh huh. What did David do? Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. So the first one she gave birth to actually died. You understand? Now this is Bethsheba, by the way. And then she gave birth again, and the child she gave birth to was Solomon. Glory to God. And God picked Solomon. God picked her son. Hallelujah. God is gracious and kind. Look at this special story too. Terrible story. 
right? This also is the great grandmother of Jesus. That's why when Matthew, see, you know, who wrote the book of Matthew? Talk to me. Matthew, of course, right? Now, remember, who was Matthew before he got converted? Matthew chapter 9. Hmm? He was a tax collector. You know what tax collectors are in Bible days? In fact, the Bible differentiates sinners. He calls them sinners, prostitutes, and tax collectors. Now, a prostitute can enter into the synagogue. A tax collector cannot enter the synagogue. You know why? Because they were called scams of the earth. Scammers. You know what the tax collectors were doing? The tax collectors were Jews who were appointed by the Roman Empire to collect tax from the Jews. And these guys became corrupt. That your tax is supposed to be um, 5%. They'll tell you you must pay 15%. If you don't pay, I'll lock you up. So they became mad with the tax collectors. This was the guy who Jesus went to go and pick to be his disciple. So when Matthew was writing his own story, look at what Matthew said about himself. Matthew chapter 9 from verse 9. Matthew chapter 9 verse 9. And Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Glory to God. And it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house. That behold, who came to Matthew's house when Jesus went to his house? Everybody want to go? Many tax collectors and who sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Look at Matthew's friends. And when the Pharisees, hey, the law, saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with who? Tax collectors and what? You, you see how they differentiate sinners and tax collectors? Category. This ones, they are more than sinners. Why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? And next, next, when Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. Jesus is saying that it's only the sick that needs a doctor. The one that is well doesn't need a doctor. Are you following? Next. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy. Everybody say mercy. Everybody say mercy. God is merciful. You know what mercy is? Mercy is that you don't get what you deserved. That is mercy. Some of you, if you look at your past, the things you've done, if God, Bible says, you know what David said? David said, if God was to mark iniquity, he said, who shall stand? Who shall stand? Who shall stand? He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Can you shout amen? The next chapter, Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. Look at what Matthew said about himself. And when he called his disciples, the twelve of them, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal how many kinds of sickness? All kinds of sickness. How many kinds of disease? All kinds. Doesn't matter the name. Doesn't matter the name they give it. And the name of the twelve apostles are these. First Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, um, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, uh -huh. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas uh -huh, and who? Matthew who? The tax collector. He, he wrote it down for you to remember that this guy you are seeing today who has been transformed, who God has changed his life, was once a tax collector. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus chose men who had terrible past, who had terrible history. You know why? Because I can tell you this morning, your past does not determine your future. 
It doesn't matter what your past has been. If you can only believe in the God who justifies the ungodly, the Bible says your faith will be counted for righteousness. That's what happened to this woman. They trusted in the God who can justify the ungodly. They trusted in the one who can rewrite the past of people and give them a new history, give them a new future, give them a new testimony. Somebody say, because of how terrible I am, God can't use somebody like me. That's not true. That is not true. That's a lie from Satan. Doesn't matter what you have done in the past. Doesn't matter how terrible you have been in the past. If you will choose to repent, if you will choose to change your direction and focus on what Christ has done, God can rewrite your future. Can you shout amen, somebody? Let's look at Peter. John 21. You know who Peter was? Peter was one of the closest disciples to Jesus. You know what Peter told Jesus? When they came to arrest Jesus, what did Peter do? the ear of somebody. He cut off somebody's ear. He said, you can't touch Jesus. You know what Jesus told him? He said, Master, I will die for you. I will die for you. You know what Jesus told him? Jesus said, before the, before the chicken croaks three times, you have already denied me. You have denied me already. Then you now hear the chicken crow. You know what Peter said? Lie, die! It can never happen, Jesus. I can never do it to you. I cannot betray you. I'm loyal to you to death. Oh yeah, now. Let's see what happened. And these things, Jesus showed himself again. So, so you know what happened then? You know, uh, you, you know the story. When he arrested Jesus, what did Peter do? Peter went close. And one small guy said, Ah, I know you now. You are just somebody saying, Lila, I don't know that man. It's, it's, this is not my refuse. It's not me you are looking at. It's my, 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 my brother. <laughs> the guy lied and lied and lied. I remember what happened when he, at the third lie, he now heard exactly as Jesus said, the chicken croaked. And then he saw the face of Jesus. You know what happened to Peter? Peter went into depression. Automatic depression. That was the reason why when Jesus rose up from the dead. You know what Jesus told Mary? Because Mary was the first person to see Jesus. Isn't that powerful? That women were the first to meet Jesus. You know what Mary told? Um, Jesus, um, you know what Jesus told Mary? He said, go and tell my disciples and Peter that I've come out of the grave. You know why? So that you know that I know you, I know what you have done, but just know that I still love you. So after this thing, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. In this way, he showed himself. Next, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Zara, the son of Zebedee, and the two his disciples were together. Next, we move quickly. And Simon said to him, "I am going fishing." They said to him, "We are going with you also." Then went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Terrible night. And when the morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus had been transformed. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you have any food? Hallelujah. Jesus wants to feed you with food. Can you say amen? amen. And the answer was what? No. Then you know what Jesus did next? Next verse. And they said to him, Cast, Jesus said, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. Look at Jesus. They cast, they, they, and they cast, and now they were not able to draw it because of the multitude of fish. Now remember, this is the second time Jesus is doing this. This is when Jesus has come out of the grave. Not the first time he met Peter. You remember, the first time Jesus met Peter, it was fish that he used to get Peter. Do you remember that? Now Jesus has come out of the grave alive. Now he's doing the same thing he did before. Glory to God. Therefore, therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved, look at the way John introduced him. I am the disciple whom Jesus loved. John. He's the writer of this book, by the way. Said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed them and plunged into the sea. <laughs> you, know, you know what Peter was trying to do? Run away from Jesus. He didn't want Jesus to see him. But he entered the sea and ran. 
Next. On the other, on the other disciples came in a little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Look at that. Soon then, as soon as they came to the land, they saw a fire of cold air, and fish laid on it and bread. Where did the fish come from? And the bread come from? From the mouth of Jesus. Jesus, when they came to meet Jesus, Jesus did not go fishing, but he was roasting fish and bread. <laughs> what a miracle. Jesus is amazing. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you just caught. So, when they came to meet Jesus, they saw fish and bread. It is not the fish and the bread that they caught. It was the one that Jesus brought. Hallelujah. God can do miracles. I said God can do miracles. It is nothing impossible with Jesus. Next verse. Next verse, 11. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish. How many fish did he catch? 153. And altogether, there were so many, and the net was not broken. And Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dare ask him, Who are you? Knowing to the Lord. Then Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and lacked the fish. Communion right there. They this is how the third time Jesus showed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, look at it now. Everybody want to go. Uh-huh. Do you love me? Uh-huh. Yes, Lord. Uh-huh. 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 Okay. He said to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my fish. Next. He said to Simon the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he asked, he said to him the third time, he said, do you love me? And then he said to him, Lord, you know all things. <laughs> you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Hallelujah. Next verse. Mona, surely I said to you, when you were younger, you greeted yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will grab you and carry you where you do not wish. Next. This he spoke, signifying by what death he will glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Next verse. Next verse. Then Peter turned around, saw the disciples whom Jesus loved following. He also had leaned on his breast and, the, and he said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? <laughs> Peter seeing this said to you, but Lord, about what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I will that he remains till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Then this saying, when among the brethren and disciples would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to them that he would not die. Because if I will that I remain till I come, what is it to you? Next verse. This is the disciples who testify of the things and wrote these things. And we know that this testimony is true. And this are also many other things that Jesus did, which if were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that will be written. Amen. Hallelujah. So you see that Peter was restored with all he did. I mean, imagine somebody that became disloyal to you, betrayed you, restored the person back. No. Only Jesus can do that. His grace and kindness and love. Hallelujah. Let's look at Paul. Acts of the 9. Remember who Paul was? Paul was helping God to kill Christians. He supervised the killing of Stephen to the stoning to death. Glory to God. And this was Paul, whose name was before Saul, who was helping God to do his work. Then Saul, 
still breathing, threat and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from them to the synagogue to Damascus, so that if he will find any whom were of the way, whether men or women, might be brought in there and bound to Jerusalem. And he journeyed, he, and as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And what happened? And suddenly, everybody say suddenly, a light shone around him from heaven. Uh-huh. Then he fell on the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? Is that what Jesus said? He said, why are you persecuting me? When you persecute God's children, you are persecuting Jesus. Next verse. Verse 5. And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard to kick against the gods. Uh-huh. So he trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then he said to him, arise, go into the city, and you, you'll be told what you must do. Next verse. And next verse, verse 7. Okay, that's all, right? Okay, that's all. Can give me that. That's all. So look at look at Paul's life. This was the guy who was killing God's children. You call him a terrorist, right? But God chose him. Hallelujah. I said God chose him. And God rewrote his future. Glory to God. What am I trying to say to you today? It doesn't matter what your past has been. It doesn't matter how terrible you have gone in iniquity. It doesn't matter how terrible you have done the things that you never thought you can do. If you will only trust the God who can justify the ungodly, your future can be rewritten by the hand of God. If he could, if he, if he could have done it for Tamar, did it for Rahab, did it for Ruth, did it for Bethsheba and Mary, and did it for Peter, for James, for John, for Paul, he can do the same today. Can you shout him in somebody? God is still in the business of changing the stories of people's life. He's still in the business of rewriting our future. He's still in the business of changing our lives and giving us new destinies. Glory to God. I said glory to God. There is no iniquity that is too big for the blood of Jesus. There is no iniquity. There is no terrible thing you've done that is too large for his blood. If you will trust what his blood has done, if you will trust in his burial, in his resurrection, and accept what he has done, God can rewrite your, 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 your life. He can give you a new future. He can give you a brand new life. Can you shout amen somebody? Amen. I said, can you shout amen somebody? Amen. Jesus picked people who had terrible past. And that's why when Matthew wrote in the book, he mentioned those women's names so that you remember who these women were. And if God could forgive them and use these women as his children, then there's nothing he cannot do. Hallelujah. You may be here today and you're thinking about your life and you're saying, can God use somebody like me? Can God change my story? Can God do something about my own life? Can God still forgive this thing I've done? Yes, he can. If you will trust what Christ has done for you. And today, all your sins can be forgiven you. Past, present, and future. Because of what his blood has done. Hallelujah. Can you stand on your feet this morning?